Morning, church. Great to be together. As a church, we have been on this journey over the last few weeks uh, with a series entitled The Enemies of the Heart or Diseases of the Heart or Viruses of the Heart, whatever language you prefer. And uh, when the elders asked me to preach this morning, uh, they graciously gave me the freedom to speak on whatever topic I want to. So we're going to just push pause on that series this morning. And, uh, and Ken will pick that up next week. So this morning I'd love us to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John and chapter 4 under the title, Thirst No Longer or Thirst No More. We are going to read what I think is probably a, a, a well-known story to many of us. Uh, and we're going to read verse 1 to 26. It's quite a long reading, but there's so much there that we cannot leave out. So won't you read with me John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon, midday. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whatever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of it, of a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and won't have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you've had five husbands and the man you are now is not your, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that this is the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, 
for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is God's word this morning. And uh, by way of introduction, I want to just to create some context to what is the longest recording recorded conversation Jesus had with anyone in the Bible. It is longer than any recorded conversation Jesus had with any of his disciples. And we read that this woman comes from the tiny village of Sika. Now, I think I've pulled up a map for us there. Thanks, Alex, if we can do that. I think it will be helpful for us to, to just get some context here. So, we have Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, Galilee in the north, and right there is this little village called Sika. And the important point here is that Sika was a very strategic place in all of Palestine because it was the confluence of two trading routes. So from the, from the east, Jericho area, towards the Mediterranean Sea, people would come across this village. And also, as Jesus did, from Judea up to Galilee, again, crossing... Oh, arriving at this village called Sika. So it was a very strategic and important place. And the well itself was about a half a mile outside the village. And it was a place that was very well known for people to come and rest. When they were weary from a long trip, like Jesus was, it was a three-day trip. And when people were tired, you know when you go on holiday and you go to a similar place for many years, and after a while you get to know that's the place we're going to stop. The food is good. The service is friendly. It's a nice place for the kids to run around. Sika, the village Sika and the Jacob's well was that kind of place. It was a place where tired, uh, tired and weary village uh, people on pilgrimage could rest and relax. And we see that uh, at this point that a little history will, will help us. Uh, to say that the Jews, as we read in that passage, to say that the Jews and Samaritans disliked each other was an understatement of note. And it all goes back to 722 before Christ, when the Syrians conquered Israel. They took the ten northern tribes captive, and they began to place there their own people, pagans, Gentiles. And then over a while, these pagans and Gentiles began to intermarry with the Jews that were left there. And the end result was what was known as the Samaritans. They had their own language. They had their own uh, religion, which was a combination of pagan and Judaism. They had their own version of the Bible, which was the first five, testaments of the old, five books of the Old Testament. Now the important thing here for us to see is that the Jews looked down on the Samaritans like religious and racial half-bred heretics. I mean, it's hard for us to fully understand the animosity between these groups, but think modern-day Palestinians and Israelites. Think Bosnians and Serbs. Think North and South Koreans, and you begin to get this picture. 
And the geography in the story is important because in Jesus' time, you had these three kind of regions stacked on top of each other. Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, and Galilee in the north. And the quickest and the easiest way to go from, from uh, south to north was right through the heart of Samaria. Now, this four, verse 4 tells us a very interesting thing. Verse 4 says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, why does it, why does it say that? Because he didn't. There, there were other routes available to him. He, he could have gone another way, albeit a slightly longer or slight, slightly roundabout way, but he had other options available to him. He did not have to go through Samaria. Which brings me to the first of three points I want to make this morning about Jesus. And this is where we're going, and uh, this is what I'm praying and hoping for. Is that if you are a follower of Christ as you sit here this morning, that as a result of these three points that you would fall freshly in love with Jesus, that the gospel will burn in your heart and fresh because of the, the amazing message of grace that falls upon our lives. If you have gone cold, if you have lost your sense of awe and wonder that God will draw you back this morning, that is my prayer for us. And I'm in that category. Equally so, if you are, would you describe yourself this morning as somebody who does not have a relationship with God through Jesus? First of all, I want to say welcome because this church exists to come alongside people like you. And my prayer for you is that you would investigate, that you would ask, that you would read, that you would debate that you would do whatever is possible to come to a place where you can make an intelligent decision on following Christ. Becoming a Christian does not mean we kiss our brains goodbye, right? And so, let's look at the first point. From this text, Jesus is graciously purposeful. The reason, my friends, why Jesus had to go through Samaria it's because he had an appointment to keep. There was purpose for the way that Jesus went about this trip. He was intentional to meet this woman. He knew that she would be at the well at precisely that time, midday. And I want us to see right off the bat that nothing in this story happens by chance. Oh no. God is at work Every detail of this story has been outworked by God. This woman was not looking for Jesus. She came to the well at lunchtime to fetch some water, which in itself was highly unusual, potentially dangerous, because the custom for women at the time would be to gather early in the mornings or late in the afternoon, early evening, and in a group they would go and collect water. It was a bit of a social event for that village. And the fact that she comes here alone midday probably points to the reality that she was cast aside. She was ostracized because of her checkered past. And Jesus begins this conversation with what seems like a perfectly normal question. He says, will you give me a drink? He's tired and thirsty and weary and he's been on this road and he knows that she has the water that he needs. But he also knows that he has the water that she needs. She was thirsty, but she didn't know it. 
And so the woman did not come to the well looking for Jesus, but he came seeking her. And Jesus has a great heart that is without prejudice. It doesn't matter to him that nobody wanted to talk to Samaritans. It doesn't matter to him that nobody wanted to talk to women. He welcomes all and he shuns no one. And this passage, my friend, is all about sovereign grace. Jesus found her. Jesus found her. And the same can be said of all of us. We will never come to Christ unless Christ comes to us first. And so if you are a follower of Christ here this morning or perhaps at home, I want you just to take a brief moment and to think about the time when God moved towards you, when He worked situations and relationships and circumstances behind the scenes. This may look like a chance encounter, but it was nothing of the sort. The time, the place, the circumstances arranged by God before the world began. I was in my early, uh, in my early 30s and I thought I was invincible. I thought I was in complete control of my life. I thought that I could pull off life on my terms. Some of you may have been there before. And one day I was driving uh, through a desert in, in a country called Namibia and I was driving a 4x4 vehicle, and I came a, a, around quite a sharp bend, doing about 110 kilometers, and I just lost it. Completely lost it. The vehicle left the road in the soft sand and just started rolling, and again, and again, and again. And eventually landed back on his wheels. It was a complete and utter write-off. And I stepped out of that vehicle with a few scratches on my head. I had no right to be alive. That should have been my last day on earth. That night I was sitting at the local hospital waiting for a doctor to examine me. And as I was sitting there, the thought came to me, Christo, what would have been if this was your last day? God working circumstances. God using people, relationships, working His plan. I was so far from Him, it was, I was off the charts. It was the furthest thing from my mind to, to serve God. And that incident began a journey in which other people played a role over time. Well, I ended up a place where I wanted to drink some living water. Secondly, I want us to see from this text that not only is Jesus graciously purposeful, he's also graciously relational. We see in verse 23, it says that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Listen carefully. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Do you see that? Did you see that in the text? The Father is seeking. The Father is, is pursuing. He's seeking this woman and he's seeking to have a relationship with her through Jesus. Just like Jesus hang out with the tax collectors and the sinners in Luke 15, he's hanging out with a Samaritan adulteress and he's asking to drink some water, some of her water. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, 
want to drink some of my water. It's what she's saying is, how can it be that you want to drink from the same water? This isn't done. Why is Jesus pursuing this relationship despite ethnical and racial and religious tensions? The Samaritans were ceremonially unclean. They were religiously heretical. They were racially impure and therefore they were to be avoided, my friends. But notice how Jesus operates here. First of all, he makes the decision to go through Samaria when he had other options. Secondly, on arrival at this well, he gets rid of his disciples, send them into town to buy food. He knew they would get in his way with their religious behavior. And then he placed himself at the well, on the wall, where he knew she would not be able to avoid him. And then he does the impossible. He asks her for a drink of water. Not for permission to drink, but he asks her, if he can share her bucket, her cup. And she's saying, this cannot be done. This isn't done. This isn't practice. But Jesus is pursuing this unacceptable relationship because he wants her to be in heaven. He doesn't care that she's a Samaritan. He doesn't care that she's a woman. He doesn't care that she's, she's an adulteress. And for my friends, we are no better than this woman. Let's just get that right. You and I also have a checkered past. In fact, if you're like me, you have a checkered presence. A heart still full of hungry, pride, selfishness, laziness, lust. We all suffer from the same disease and yet we have received grace upon grace because God is seeking a gracious relationship through Jesus. He's purposeful. He's relational. And thirdly, he is graciously superior. Now, having smashed this wall between Jew and Samaritan, Jesus now moves on to more important things. Verse 10, it says that he says to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What's he saying? He says, Woman, may God open your eyes to see who is right in front of you. May God open your eyes to see that the one can who can give you living water is standing right with you. And she says to him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw water with. How will you get this water out? It is so deep. She, she doesn't get it, does she? She's just like Nicodemus. She's just like us. Spiritually blind, unable to see the glory of God. And Jesus said to her, whoever drinks from this water that you're pulling out of the water will make you thirsty again, but my water will give you eternal life. And Jesus is offering her a superior kind of water. He says to her, my, my well is superior and my water is superior. 
and my gift is superior, and my sons and daughters are superior because they will live forever. I am graciously superior, and my superiority is your salvation. I have the water of life. If you drink from this, it will satisfy you forever. And you would have thought that when Jesus said that, that that would have settled it for her. That she would have come to a place where she knew she needed living water and Jesus was the one who could give it to her. But still, she doesn't get it. She says in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water because I'm thirsty and I have to come and draw this water again. She says, what she's saying is, just give me this water because coming here every day in the middle of the day in the heat is a real pain in the backside. So give me this water. She's stuck in the physical where Jesus has moved on to the spiritual. She doesn't own up. She doesn't come clean. But God sees behind the mask. There is nothing this morning that you and I can hide from the creator of the universe. And until we come to grips with our own sinfulness and our own willful disobedience to God, we cannot, we cannot be saved. Until we understand that we are spiritual beings that are being made for a relationship with God, that there is a God-shaped vacuum, Blaise Pascal. In every one of us that will be filled by nothing else. That we were made to know God. And until we know Him through Jesus, we are doomed to a life of, of desperate desperation and despair. You say, Christo, those are strong words. A life doomed to restlessness and despair. How can you be so sure? Well, I could throw the Bible at you because that is the narrative of the Bible. That is the grand story. Our Creator made us in His image to be in a worshipful relationship with Him. And when we've gone astray, He sent His Son to rescue us so that we can be with Him forever, that we can get back to the reason why we were created. I could tell you that that's in the Bible. But if you are a skeptic, you may well question the validity of the Bible which is a topic for another conversation, I agree. So the best way I can tell you or try to convince you that unless you drink living water, you are doomed for a life of restlessness and despair is to tell you that I've been there. I have drank from every source possible, good, bad, and indifferent, and none of them satisfied me. Restlessness and despair. My friends, true worship, we sang about it this morning, is not about the how or the where or the when. True worship is based on the gospel and a fully surrendered, holy, devoted heart to God. That is worship. And now there's good and bad news in that statement. The bad news is that religion will not cut it. Your religious activity will not get you saved. You can go to church five times a day. You can pray every day. You can give all your money away. You can follow the Ten Commandments. It will not give you salvation because you can do all those things and you can still walk around with a heart full of anger and bitterness and jealousy and pride. But there's also some great news in that statement. 
Because the worship that God welcomes and accepts is based on the truth and a fully surrendered heart to Him. A humble heart. The, the worship that God wants is worship in spirit and in truth. And the good news is we are all in. We all qualify. No one is excluded. Not the dodgy tax collectors. Not the Samaritan adulteress. Not even you and I this morning. No one is excluded. Salvation is not about going to the right mountain or belonging to the right race. It's about coming to Jesus to drink living water. And any of us can do that. And then slowly, this reality is beginning to settle on this woman. She has heard that the Messiah is coming one day. And imagine her surprise. Verse 26, when he says, I who speak to you am he. Jesus claims to be the Messiah. Imagine how it blew her mind. He didn't come to her with a heavy hand. He came to reveal himself as the Messiah. And she started drinking the water that would sustain her forever. She came that lunchtime looking for water to drink. And she left having met the living God face to face. Now the story doesn't end there. And I want us to quickly look at uh, the last few verses of that passage actually let's pick it up from verse 39 it says many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, in Jesus because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I ever did so when the Samaritans came to him they urged him to stay with him and he stayed two days and because of his words Many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I'm just struck when I read these few verses how little this woman actually understands. I mean, she's hardly a kind of a convert that's going to change the world, right? And yet, God uses her in a magnificent way because she is willing. We would want our converts a little bit better trained than that. And note what she say to her fellow villagers. She doesn't come to them and say, hey, you can get saved by jumping through these ten religious hoops, or you can do this, or you can do that to get salvation. What does she say? She says, come and see Come and see. My friends, when last have you asked your sphere to come and see? To come and see. I don't know what that looks like in your life. Here's a woman with little theology, 
with inadequate knowledge. One meeting with Jesus and she changes a village. Come and see. Come and see. We shouldn't be people who want to who want to love people in order to get them to a place where God will save them. No, no. We throw open our lives, our faith included, in order to demonstrate our love. Can you hear that? One woman, one encounter, and everything changes. And the Samaritans get to a place at the end of this chapter where the Jews didn't really arrive. What do they say? You are the Savior of the world. You are the Savior of the world. My friends, there is nothing that, make, that makes God happier than human beings that are redeemed by His grace and living to glorify Him. That is why we were created. That is why God put us on this earth. Fully devoted lives for His glory. That's our privilege. That's our reason to live. That's our sweet spot. Anything less will leave us thirsty. Will leave us thirsty. Why don't we close our eyes just as we before we ask the band to come and join us for the last song. Father, this morning, we're so grateful that we can run to a father whose arms are stretched wide open to receive his children. And Lord, we want to admit that it is our tendency to drink from things that are not always that helpful. Despite you revealing to us that the water that comes from you will, living water that will be with us forever into eternity, that that is the water that we are meant to drink. And so this morning, I pray, God, won't you give us a new thirst for you, Jesus? Won't you help us to fall freshly in love? with a purposeful, gracious, relational, superior Jesus who paid the ultimate price so that we can drink from you. God, God, where our hearts may be hot, where we've gone astray, where we've drifted, where we've wandered, where we've gone looking for other things to sustain us, won't you forgive us as we come back to you this morning? to drink living water from you. God, thank you that you are so generous in dispensing this water that all of us qualify. No one is excluded. It just takes a humble heart to come to you. And we do that this morning. I wonder if there's perhaps people who, either you or at home, that you've never done that. You've never tasted living water. You may have tried, like me, all kinds of water. And yet, you are left high and dry this morning. I want you to know that Jesus wants you to come to Him and want you to drink from Him.
that this promise of living water is life-giving, life-changing, getting you back to the reason why God created you in the first place, to live as worshipers, to glorify God. And if you've never done that before, I want to, this morning, just ask you to, from your own heart, come to Jesus. The Samaritan adulteress did that. Many others with checkered past did that. It's a simple prayer. But it's a real prayer. Jesus, I bring my life to you. I ask that you forgive my, for my sins. And I ask that you will take over the reins of my life today so that I can drink from you forever. We do that this morning, Lord. All of us together. We do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.